All right, Genesis chapter 4, new name written down. Praise the Lord for that. Genesis chapter number 4. All right, let me begin reading here in uh, verse number 11, please. Genesis chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 11. I'm going to read till the end of the chapter. Bible says here, and this is basically God speaking to Cain. Last week we went over this, this sin that he had committed in murdering his brother Abel. The Bible tells us here, Genesis 4.11, And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face I shall be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. It shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehujael, and Mehujael begat Methusael, Methusael begat Lamech. Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of all such as handled the harp and the organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubalcain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubalcain was Naamah. Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth, for God said she, for God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now I must say, Tracy here is expecting child. There's some names that you could look at there if you're wondering about any particular name. So uh, just curious on that. But anyways, God bless you. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing of being able to come together, hear the word of God. Pray that you just touch our hearts now. May we be um, cognizant of your working in our life. Uh, Lord, help me to hide behind the cross. May this message not be anything of me, but may it truly be your word that comes forth. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we met together, uh, we looked at the second recorded sin of mankind on the earth. It was the sin of murder. Please understand there is a difference here. Uh, between, and I'm not going to go into detail, was, was mentioning some of this a little bit last week, but there is a difference between that which is of a, 
uh, a righteous war, if you will, when, when killing takes place as opposed to uh, intentional murder that is spoken of here. There's different words that are given in the Scriptures for that. And very specifically, when you look at the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, thou shalt not kill, that's a very specific word, uh, and that is a sin as God has listed it. But when we talked last week, we noted in last week's sermon how that sin is really and truly the basis of all conflict in this world. But now I desire to take tonight's message and kind of peer into the record of God's Word to see how man begins to react in a rebellious state. We actually come to the place where society now has grown to a great degree. The first two sins that we looked at, the sin, first of all, of both Adam and Eve, and then secondly, the sin of Cain killing Abel, his brother, are what we might say isolated cases. But now we see that bad behavior and that attitude of the sinful nature is being taught and transmitted from one generation to the next. But two things to consider before we get into our subject at hand of a society independent of God, and that is two questions that people have every time that we come to a passage like this. I bet you can guess what one of the questions is. Where did Cain get his wife from? Great question. Well, it's quite obvious, though people don't like to talk about it, it is quite obvious that Cain married either a sister or a niece. Now you say, well, no, wait a minute. The Bible talks about Cain and Abel, and Abel's gone out of the way, and then later it mentions about Seth. Well, there were other children that were born to Adam and Eve. And so, again, very obvious here, a sister or a niece. The Bible does tell us, if we, as we think about it, um, un- unless you're from Kentucky, you know, I'm, I'm just kidding here, but uh, as far as marrying a family, but uh, it is, the, the Bible does tell us about Abraham. I'm sorry, anybody from Kentucky, I'm very sorry about that. But anyways, the Bible does tell us about Abraham marrying his half-sister in Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. At this point, early on in the gene pool of humanity, it really was pure enough that a close marriage like that Uh, would not bring in any harm of inbreeding here. But just like a stream can get more polluted the further it flows from the source, there then came a time when God actually said, all right, no more marriages of those that are of close family relations. It wasn't until Moses' time that there would be a law that would put out that would forbid marriages to close family members. But what are we seeing right now? God's intention is that mankind multiply and therefore any genetic deformity would have either been rare or would have been very minuscule. All right, another question people often ask when we come to passages is how many people could there be? Well, truly, we don't have any exact figures but it's actually quite easy to figure out how the population would have developed. I know when we read these passages, we don't think as we're reading Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, we don't think in a lot of people. We're thinking maybe just this little small area of just a handful of people. But truly, I want you to think about this. 
Dr. Henry Morris, in his book, in fact, I'd recommend that you ever get, if you ever get your hands on anything of Dr. Henry Morris, good job. But in his book, The Beginning of the World, he puts it this way. Assuming that each family had only six children, and assuming that each generation, that is, a generation is the time required for one cycle of birth, growth, marriage, childbearing. If that generation took a hundred years, and the average lifespan was five generations, then the population at the end of Adam's 930 years of life would have been approximately 80,000 people. Think about that. He says further that if each family had eight children per 100-year generation instead of six, they would actually be a million people. So as we get to these first few chapters here, we're realizing now that from two people to four, now we've multiplied to a large group of people. So let's note here what we've read in the remainder of this chapter and take a look at this extended society and note something of their desire to live independent of God. First of all, notice the first point. Cain's actions in light of God's punishment. Cain's actions in light of God's punishment. Now, truthfully, I really wanted to share more of this last week in the message, but because of time, I chose to go ahead and put it in this message here. But please notice here the first few verses that we read. There are three specific things that God did to Cain because of his sin in murder. First of all, the ground would not yield the production for Cain as it did prior to the murder of his brother. Notice what it says here in verse 11. Thou art cursed from the earth, verse 12, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. I picture something like this. When Cain came with that offering that is recorded in the book of Genesis, I'll bet you Cain brought the best that he had. Those apples were the best-looking, shiniest apples. Those oranges were the juiciest. All of those vegetables that he had laid out on that offering for the Lord, some of the best that he could offer. But now, as Cain moves forward, it is going to be a struggle to produce anything. Things are going to rot on him. There's going to be all sorts of problems. So that's number one thing that God did to him. Number two Cain would not find any rest or peace on this earth, and he would find that life away from God would be nothing but meaningless. Look at verse number 12. He says, A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. You're going to wander around, Cain. Your life is going to be aimless. There will be no purpose to anything you're doing. And I tell you, that is a life that is away from God, and it is a sad life. But third thing I want you to notice that God does to him is God sets a mark on him. Notice here in verse number uh, 14 here, it talks about this, this mark, that, or actually verse 15, the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now people have asked, well, what, is, what was that mark? We really don't know. But there had to be something that was noticeable by all the people who saw Cain and went, oh yeah, that's Cain. Had to be something that identified him. 
But it also was a mark, not just that simply identified him, but I believe it was a mark of protection, again, that nobody would take his life. Cain knew, when he took his brother's life, he knew that what he had done was so vile that those in the society around him also knew it was vile, and they would seek revenge on him. So God made sure that that mark was put upon Cain so that way nobody took their revenge upon Cain and everybody was mindful of this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You know, it's pretty amazing. Sinful hearts and strong passions will always seek retaliation for injustices. You watch people that are sitting in court that have an invested interest in what's going on in the court, and man, they're looking for revenge. They might use the word justice, but I tell you, in their heart with the strong passions and that sinful nature, they're looking for revenge. Those that have had wrongs done to them, they want to get back at people. But I want to tell you something. The reason that God says that vengeance is mine, I will repay, because God is the only one that can exact proper punishment because it is out of His holy character and His just nature. And so here He sets this mark upon Cain. Now I want you to notice verse number 16, and let's talk further about Cain's actions in light of God's punishment. Verse 16 talks about here, about Cain going out from the presence of the Lord. And he dwelt in this place, and, and, the, and, and the area that's east that is known here is called Nod. But I want you to notice where it says it is. It is on the east of Eden. Now, does that ring a bell of any verses that we read earlier? If you recall in the Scriptures, just a couple of chapters previous, There were cherubim, angels, that were set out on the entrance of the garden on the east side of the garden. And how interesting that Cain comes over to that area, that the entrance to that garden, that represented where his mom and dad had met with God every single day. I have no doubt that as Cain was in that land of Nod, probably looking over a distance there and could see the angels who were guarding the entrance, probably thought to himself of the fellowship that his mom and dad had with God. Thought to himself, that is the place where the presence of God is. And I can tell you as a pastor, as I have talked to many people and been around people who have gotten away from God and are living rebellious, there's something inside of them that seems to be connected. Can I get close to God somehow? Can I find out how can I know about God? What can I do? But yet they still seem to be a distance. Cain comes to this place, the land of Nod, looking over there to where God was and where it represented his presence. But I want you to know that Cain is not at a place where he's going to repent. Cain is not at a place where he's going to change his mind. Cain is a man that is still stuck in his ways, his rebellion against God. And he has a son and builds a city. And his son's name is Enoch, which means initiated or dedicated. 
And it could be that while Cain is near the place where the garden is, is near the entryway in this land of Nod, he builds a city, and I almost want to believe that he builds a city and it becomes his own version of paradise. You know what's amazing about mankind and their rebellion? They may not want God's ways, but they're going to do all that they can to make life comfortable for themselves. They're going to do all that they can to find satisfaction in this world and find what they can in this world. They're going to build themselves a city. They're going to build themselves something in their life. They don't want what God has to offer, but they're going to do something for themselves. And this is what Cain does. Sadly, this land of Nod, literally a place of wandering and wilderness. But what does Cain do? Cain decides he's going to make it comfortable himself and he's going to call this place home. I want to tell you something, Christian. The world, this world, as the song says, is not my home. Don't get comfortable here. Oh, I know you got to do business. I understand that you have things that you tend to, and, and we're here and we know nothing else. We read about heaven. We have faith that there is a heaven. But I want to tell you, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm looking forward to that day when I can be in heaven, but don't be like Cain, where you just go ahead and you set up shop and you call this home. Notice number two, civilization's attempt to thwart God's curse. So now, Cain's, all of the lineage here coming from Cain, what they're trying to do is they're trying to thwart, put aside, if you will, the curse that God had laid upon them all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Three things I note in reading these verses here to show us how civilization thwarts, is trying to thwart God's curse. First of all, there are designations that reflect the attitude of mankind right now. We're given a few names here of the lineage of Cain. I want you to notice beginning verse number 18. Enoch who is Cain's son, he bears a son by the name of Irad. Irad begets Mehujael. Mehujael begets Methusiel. Methusiel begets Lamech. Notice here the names of these children. And actually, let me give you what their names indicate, and it will show you here that the designation reflected their attitude that they had towards God. Irad means fugitive or wild ass. Basically, there was this idea of I want nothing to do with God. I'm going to live the way I want to live. Mehujiel means smitten of God, or literally, it means to wipe the name of God out. Think about that. Methusiel means who is God, and it seems to indicate a questioning on their part about the direction that they're going in this world. Lamech is a name that means powerful one. At this point, coming to the point of Lamech, the independence from God came to a boiling point in this man, and we're going to note his commentary right now. So notice these names that are given. What's the direction of these people? They want nothing to do with God, and they show it in the names they give their children. Notice number two here, civilization's attempt to thwart God's purpose, is the decisions reflected man's aberration. There were decisions that were made that reflected man's aberration. Now, as we speak about this man Lamech, 
there's an open defiance against God and His way. The word aberration means a departure from something. But there's two, so there's two things here about Lamech in this passage that shows his departure from God's prescribed way. First of all, I want you to notice, Lamech goes against God's method and manner of marriage. What did God establish? We went over this in one particular message. What did God establish in Genesis chapter 2 about marriage? One man, one woman. What does Lamech do? I'm taking two wives. Defiance against God. Rebellion against God's way. How sad. But secondly, I want you to notice, he not only defies God by taking two wives and going against God's order, but he defies God's pattern for revenge. How interesting to note in these passages here how Lamech had killed a man and he basically with such pride dares anybody to try to do him harm. You know what this is? Here's a man living in open rebellion against God and against all mankind. This is this man Lamech. So how sad from Cain to Enoch to these children here, naming their children of, God, I don't want anything to do with you. God, I don't want anything to do with you. And then we come to a man by the name of Lamech, and guess what? Instead of just naming his children something of defiance, Lamech lives in defiance. I want to tell you something, families. What you do at home matters with your kids. How you live What you say, what you do, the testimony that you have before them, it matters. Many parents have said to me, I can't believe this. Why are my kids in open, outright rebellion? Now, I I must say, not everything of a child is a parent's fault, but sometimes there have been some parents that have allowed certain things, and at home they have secretly been in defiance against God, and that has built into their kids. And I'll tell you, you watch this line, and what's happening is, There is a deviation away from God. But thirdly, I want you to notice here, not only the civilization's attempt to thwart God's purpose are the designations, the names that are given, the decisions that are reflected, specifically in Lamech, but I want you to notice the the discoveries are reflected of man's attempt, again, to thwart God's punishment very interesting to note Lamech here. There are three children that are born to Lamech, which actually propel civilization into an age of great discoveries. Notice these three children beginning here in verse number 20. There's Jabel. Then notice here in, uh, in the next verse, 21, there's Jubal. Then notice in verse 22, Tubal came. Now here's three men that all in their respective fields really propel society in a great way as far as their discoveries. Notice here, Jabel was the father, if you will, of cattle ranching. He was also the father of tent making and a nomadic life. Now, his great-great-great-grandfather, Abel, actually merely lived off of his flocks. But here's what Jabel did. 
he traded with these beasts. And he represents here a cultural advancement, not just living off just for the family, but now making a big business out of things. Jabal was the father, if you will. Now, when we say father, he's the man that initiated. He became the head of all this, the one who started all this. So Jabal's the father of all ranchers. He's the father of all those who breed animals, who skin animals, who butcher meat. He would have known what it is to go ahead and milk cows and goats, make cheese, cook meat, make weapons from bones, and actually provide clothing from the hides of the animals. So that's this man, Jabal. Then there's Jubal. You got the names here? Jabal and Jubal. All right. Jubal now is the father of music. Very specifically, creating here string and wind instruments. Now, I don't know if you understand anything, but there is an art and there is something very particular about making instruments. Imagine now being the first one establishing here string to wind instruments. But those in this society that are living independent of God, they needed something to kind of drown out the thought of God, and therefore these instruments are helping here. Now, Tubal-Cain, the inventor of everything as far as metal is concerned, metallurgy. He not only invented it, but I want you to notice here this word that is given in verse 22, an instructor of artificer of brass and iron. Now, this word instructor, when we think of instructor, we think of a teacher getting up and instructing. The word instructor here in the Hebrew language actually means to sharpen. So not only did Tubal-Cain invent all of these tools that were made, but he all actually, he was the one that was doing all the sharpening and preparing these things and made a monopoly of the business. Now you say, Pastor, what's wrong with this? We benefit from all these discoveries here today. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these inventions in and of themselves, but I think two things emerge. Number one, when you read Genesis chapter 4 going into chapter 5, you know what you notice here? Two lines pitted against each other. There's the line of Cain. There's the line of Seth. The line of Seth, as we're going to see, is a line of faith. They're trusting God. The line of Cain is a line that wants to go their direction, away from God, and now they create these particular things, but there's something else to indicate here. Again, not that there's anything wrong with any of these things that they created, but the creation of these things seems to indicate that they desired to make life easier for themselves, and they wanted to drown out the thought of God. You see, none of these things that they created sprung from a work of the grace of God in their heart. How wonderful it is when someone within a church writes a piece of music and sets, a, sets a, a, a poem, a lyric to music, and what a beauty that is because God has worked in their heart. How wonderful it is when somebody has developed a particular thing or they're in a particular business and they're able to help uh, further the cause of that business because they are a Christian and God has done a work in their heart and they've done such a wonderful thing. But you know what I read about these men? coming from Lamech, who is an open, defiant, rebellious man before God, 
these people develop these things not for the sake of worshiping and glorying God, but for themselves, for the ease of life. The tools that Tubal-Cain made were to try to ease the burden of the curse on this earth. The music that Jabel or Jubal, get the names mixed up here, Jubal had created was music here to drown out any thought of God. Isn't it amazing how many times young people listen to music and they just don't want to think about anything else? Boy, it's pretty amazing. But here it is, all of these things. Jabel, his work here in herding cattle and being at this business, the invention of prosperity. Jubal, with Jubal came the invention of pleasure. With Tubal came, came the invention of power. But now lastly, I want you to notice this major point. The consideration of God amidst this moral decline. The consideration of God amidst this moral decline. We come to the last two verses, verse 25 and 26, and we see Adam and Eve trying to do what they can to bring people back to God. Now, it lists here in verse 25 that Adam and Eve have another son, and they name him Seth. Notice what his name means. It means appointed. Now, it could be that as Adam and Eve named this son Seth, now, please please note, probably there's already been a lot of other children born, daughters, sons, but they have this one, and they name him Seth, meaning appointed, and there's probably two thoughts that Adam and Eve had as they named this child Seth. They think back to when they had Cain. What did they name Cain? They named him that because they felt God had helped them, and they felt that this child, Cain, the first child that they had, he was going to be the one that was going to go ahead and crush the head of the serpent. Well, sure enough, they found out that wasn't the case. Then with Abel, Abel's life is taken from him. Two of their children that are listed in the Scripture, their lives are a shipwreck. One's died and one's life is a shipwreck. And after losing Abel, they realize he also wasn't the one. But this is what I like about Adam and Eve. They believe that God's going to do something in their lifetime. Seth, the appointed one. I believe that Adam and Eve thought to themselves, all right, this will be the child that will crush the head of the serpent. Let me ask you a question. You say to yourself, Pastor, it's foolish for them to think. But let me tell you something. You've got the whole history of the Bible here. You and I know that there have been generation after generation after generation after generation, and it wasn't here until the Lord Jesus Christ came. He was the one that would crush the head of the serpent. It wasn't Abel. It wasn't Cain. It wasn't Seth. It wasn't Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, all of those. But Adam and Eve didn't know that. They just had faith in God's promise that He would provide somebody. And I want to challenge you today, do you have that type of faith in God that God could do something in your lifetime? Let me tell you something. When I say that God could come today and that the rapture of believers could happen at this moment, do you believe that? Let me tell you something. When you look at the Apostle Paul, I love what he writes 1 Thessalonians 4. When he's talking about the rapture, how we're going to be caught up, he says there that the dead in Christ, they're going to rise first. And then I like the way he puts this. He says, and then we. He's like looking at himself. Paul thinks that in his lifetime, the rapture is going to take place. Now, it didn't. Generation after generation, all the way till this day, 
The rapture has not taken place. But I'm telling you, every generation of believers having faith realizes God can do something. And Adam and Eve had faith that God was going to do something through them. They had this son. They named him Enos. Now, those of you old enough, this is not the deputy sheriff on the Dukes of Hazard, okay? But I want you to notice, with the birth of this son in this line, I love these words. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. A worship of God. This becomes the line of faith. Now in closing tonight, could I just remind you, there's only two groups of people in this world. That's it. There are those that are born again, are living by faith. There are those that are living by sight, and they're living for themselves. Today, you and I are living by faith. Just two days ago, Lois Merriman went into the presence of the Lord. Her faith became sight. Oh, I'll tell you. I just think about what she would have seen as she got up there. Mm. You and I today, we're living by faith. Very simply, just trusting God. Don't know what tomorrow will bring. Don't know how everything will unfold in our lives, but we're trusting God. Adam and Eve are in this corrupt society. They have Seth. They they select the name, and they raise him in such a way to prepare the people around them, knowing that the civilization there in the land of Nod is defiant and rebellious against God, and they say, we want nothing to do with that, but we want men to call upon God. So either today you are a person of faith, or you're a person that's living for yourself. You say, preacher, society's not a whole lot better today. You're right. You're right. So what can you and I do in this society today? Because I trust you're here today living by faith, but there is a whole society that we intermingle with that is living for themselves, and many are defiant against God. I mean, now we have a lot of neighbors and people we come into contact with. They may not be openly defiant, but I guarantee you see about those defiant people on the news. You read about what's going on. You know what's happening. There are a whole group of people that are trying to change our culture, and they want nothing to do with God. Nothing. So how is it that we can live in this society? Well, let me give you three things that are not on the screen. Number one, live according to God's principles. That's it, by faith. By faith, very simply. What were Adam and Eve doing? Sure, they sinned in the garden, but you know what they tried to do from then on? They tried to live by faith. What's Enoch doing? Living by faith. Seth, living by faith. These men are living by faith. They're trusting God. And I'm telling you, when there, is, there are people who live by faith and who trust in God, and they live by His principles, it makes a difference in our society. Number two, if you have children or you influence grandchildren, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
the left politically, the left morally, is after our children. We've spoken about this before, two messages. One message I preached on this, I believe. The transgender movement is a radical movement that insists on their independence from God. I was just looking at this recently. Not long ago, Michigan politicians recently advanced legislation making it a felony to misgender someone or call a transgender by the wrong pronoun. Over 17,000 schools in America, that represents more than 1,000 school districts across our country, currently have policies that prevent parents from knowing if their children change their gender or socially transition in school. God forbid that stuff happens. But it's going on out there. You can go ahead and throw your hands up. You go ahead and Consume yourself with the news and wring your hands together and not know what's going to go on. But I'm telling you, if you have influence with children, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're raising children right now? Do all you can to bring them up according to the Bible. You have influence with grandchildren? Do all you can to point them to the Scriptures. You're influencing Children here at Calvary Baptist Church, do all you can to point them to Jesus and have a smile on your face to let them know that the Christian life is the best life. It's the greatest life. But number three, invite men to call upon the name of the Lord. Be a soul winner. Get the gospel out. I love it. Adam and Eve had a son. And at that time, because of that child and the way that they raised and how they pointed people to God and by faith, they were telling others about their God and you and I need to do the same thing today. How do you change your society? One individual at a time. How do you see things go get turned around? One person sharing the gospel, seeing them get saved and their life changed. Another person getting saved, their life changed. Another person getting saved, their life changed. You know what I love about when I read the book of Acts? Twelve men commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to get out and share the gospel. Those men share the gospel. One of them rises up on Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost preaches, 5,000 people get saved. Not long after, 3,000 people get saved. Many of them are there in Jerusalem, but many of them are from other places around, and they start going and spreading the gospel. And I love it. I think it is in the book of Acts, chapter number 17, that one of the social leaders in a particular city, he said this, he said, these men, the apostles, have turned the world upside down. How are they doing it? Sharing the good news. Seeing people get saved, baptized, join a local church. Let me just tell you something. The greatest business you have is to get out and share the good news of Christ. That's why on Wednesday nights we're reviewing again, how do you share the gospel? How do you lead people to a saving knowledge of Christ? Because the greatest job you have, you may never get up in front of a whole group of people and speak and have an opportunity to go ahead and share your mind about what's going on politically. You may never have an opportunity to go ahead and influence a large crowd, 
But I'm here to say that every day you're influencing people. You're rubbing shoulders. You have people that you can leave a gospel track with. You have people that you can talk to and let them know about Jesus Christ and invite them to call upon the Lord. And when people get saved, things happen. When people get saved, lives are changed. And God begins to do a work. I want to tell you something. God wants to do a work. He wants to do a work through you with you, for you.